community, hear now this call to gather from the Reverend Holly McKissick's The Salt Project. Resist. It's an active word. It takes practice, effort. I heard the command over and over in my daughter's ballet class. After pirouette, the teacher would call out, pause, hold, resist. After a delay, hanging in the air, the dancers would place their heels gently on the floor and come to a rest. Every turn, every lunge, every grand plie was followed by that same instruction. Pause, hold, resist. Resist the pull of gravity for just a second. Resist the urge to land where you normally land. Resist. It's a helpful word for the beginning of Lent. The season of Lent asks, what do you need to resist? Consumption? Taking on too much? Being too hard on yourself? Hopelessness? Apathy? Turning a blind eye to the violence of the world? Resist. It takes 40 days and then some. If our goal is to be different people come Easter Sunday, then we must, then we must take time, step back, and evaluate our patterns. It will take active effort, intentional practice, and a supportive community. If you want to land somewhere different, pause, hold, resist. Welcome to Emmaus Way. We are a community of folks captivated by the gospel, trying to discern where God is at work in our community and participate in that. Um, if you are new to Emmaus Way or you're interested in finding out more, there are yellow cards on that table with the star in the back that you can fill out. You can ask to grab coffee with one of the folks on staff. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, does anybody have any announcements this week? Well, I think one is that, yeah, Molly caught what apparently is a pretty epic stomach bug on the way back from uh, Richmond today, and so that's why she's not here tonight, but doesn't want us to worry about anything else. It's just a dang stomach bug. Anybody else? Yes. Um, so just a reminder about giving. We're kind of coming, moving towards the end of our financial year, which ends in June, um, and so the Mayus Way has kind of shifted from a, rather than being very back-ended in our funding, we, people are giving off regularly, which has been great, very helpful for budgeting and um, making making that work throughout the year and not just right at the end, but we are kind of, I don't know exactly where the numbers are today, but we are kind of, uh, we need to make a little bit of a push towards the end, and so we just want to encourage um, and let you know ways to give. Um, the silver bowl is back here, always can drop um, money or check-in. Um, I, the way that we do it is I set up the bank, just sends a check every month so I don't have to think about it. Because um, if I had to think about it, it probably would happen. Um, so this money's just gone and I, that's the way we try to do it. Um, but you can also, there's information right back here, yeah, about text giving. So you can text to be able to give, you can also text to give to support the, um, the, the dinners that happen as well. Um, and then just shortly, like quickly, one of the reasons we give, one of the reasons I like to you know, think about our budget is primarily staff driven, so supporting the staff that are here that make Sundays happen and make our community happen, but one of the things that I think is really important is that people like Molly, who is one of our pastors, is able to, um, she sits on the clergy caucus, she's one of the co-chair of the clergy caucus for Durham Can, which is grassroots public organizing, and it allows her space and time every week to go there and be part of that and um, bring leadership to that organization um, that is directly kind of our voice into that organization and, uh, and deeply rooted in what's going on in Durham. So I, I, I that's one small piece, but that's why, why we're going to do it. Thank you. 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 Thank you
We want to talk about adult offerings now or later? We want to talk about those later. Okay. Um, pray with me this community prayer, um, a prayer for Lent. Listen to the long stillness. New life is stirring. New dreams are on the wing. New hopes are being ready. Humankind is fashioning a new heart. Humankind is forging a new mind. God is at work. This is the season of promise. So at this point, Molly was going to invite us into Lent, and I have Molly's invitation, and I'm going to share it. Um, here we are once again in the season of Lent. Oh, sorry. Kids, you are welcome to go do fun kid things. <laughs> yes, Lent is out on the playground, upstairs, in the basement, everywhere. All right. Here we are once again in the season of Lent, a time of in-between, a time some call the thinnest of all places, a period of 40 days that began on Ash Wednesday, this past Wednesday, and ends on Holy Saturday. Lent holds space between the joy of Christmas and Epiphany, but the not yet joy of Easter resurrection a time between Christ incarnate and the resurrected Christ. The word Lent, according to Molly, comes from an old English word for lengthen and refers to the gradually lengthening days of late winter and early spring. Over the centuries, Lent evolved into a 40-day period of reflection, repentance, preparing, not only for Holy Week, but also for the subsequent 50-day celebration of Eastertide. I always tell the kids, we celebrate for longer than we wait. Um, in the ancient scriptural imagination, 40 was both a shorthand way of saying for a long time and a way of resonating with other key 40s in Israel's sacred memory. The flood's 40 days of rain... Um, Moses's 40 days without food on Mount Sinai, Elijah's 40 days without food as he journeyed to Mount Horeb, Israel's 40 years of wilderness wandering, and not least, Jesus's 40 days of wilderness temptation. The underlying idea here is that God, like a master poet, choreographer, or composer, works through signature forms in time and space. And in the season of Lent, we're invited to step into our own 40-day pilgrimage of preparation. Lent is the in-between time where we, like Jesus, have the capacity to be the most transformed. For this time of in-between grants clarity if we let it. The in-between produces freedom this time of in-between grants us the possibility to love God in ways unfathomable in the world. But the kicker is we must be willing to engage in practices of faith that help us in this time to go inward and contemplate and create space for us to become a bit more honest and vulnerable and raw. We must risk in this in-between space knowing something is coming, even if we don't fully know how, but we can trust in the practices of this Lenten season and we can trust in a God who is with us in this in-between. This Lenten season in a mass way, we enter in this season of in-between and space for transformation through letters, writing, and practice. Um, this Lenten season, we have a writer in residence, uh, Joanna Penn Cooper, who will create space for this practice of reading, writing, and reflection this Lent. She's with us today. 
Um, so you'll hear more from her in just a moment. Um, we'll also have Paul as Lenten accompaniment, a figure who is quite contested, but an author who through the medium of letters curated a set of writings from long ago that still stir up different energies around faith and God, even in this present day. And we'll have space for the practice of we ourselves becoming writers of letters or other creative pieces as well as practitioners of practices of faith that persons throughout the centuries who've walked the Lenten path have engaged and continue to engage so that we all might open ourselves to more fully love God in ways unfathomable to the world and therefore more fully love and be about transformation in the world in this time and space. So, welcome to the season of Lent. Um, at this time, we are going to pass the peace. So, greet each other, grab some water. We've done our eating, so I don't, we're not snacking today, but. Oh, the, all right. Oh, sweets. Awesome. Okay, finish off the sweets. Greet each other with peace of Christ. I want to do a couple of things before we invite Joanna up to invite us into her work and further into this evening. One is, uh, yeah, I just got reminded over the piece that um, Jay Russ, our friend Jay Russ, our lovely person Jay Russ is in the hospital right now. And I actually have been out of town this week and don't have all those details, but I'd like Elizabeth to share a little bit about that and maybe lead us in a prayer for her. Yeah, so um, I think the doctors are still trying to figure out exactly what's wrong, but um, she ended up in the ER a couple of nights ago, and they're saying she'll be in the hospital at least through Tuesday. Um, her parents come and are with her, but, you know, I think she would appreciate if we prayed for her. Um, so I'll, I'll pray. Um, God, who has composed and created the amazing human body, um, we pray for Jairus as her body is sick. And we pray for the medical professionals who are taking care of her. We pray that um, they would be able to figure out what's wrong. We pray that Jairus would experience presence with her. She would be able to um, deal with the season of uncertainty in the confidence that you are always with her. And we pray that we could be a supportive, loving community for her during this season. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, second thing I want to do for inviting Joanna up is just to yeah say a little bit about her that I've gotten to know very thus far, and we'll get to know her a little better together here in a minute, but just say that really um, in bringing her on as a writer in residence with us, um, we're, we're grateful to have her, and also that that fits into some ways that we want to really focus our attention this Lent. One is just in general, this is a season where it is traditional in this community and in most Christian communities to think about practice, think about taking something away and taking something back on that might turn us inward and lengthen the open space for reflection and vulnerability and transformation. And we want to do that in general, and we'll talk, I'll talk a little bit later about the adult offerings we're going to have in the first half through the next four weeks that'll be invite us into that. But also, in that, we want to look at writing in particular as a practice, in part because we're going to be spending time with Galatians and Paul and the idea that Paul was a writer, 
with an audience who is in a form, and what does that have to do with how we receive him as a voice or Galatians as a text? But um, I think we're excited about Joanna because she's the second writer we've had. We're really used to musical artists, and we'll still have musicians alongside her, or you know, along, alongside us in this second half on a regular basis through Lent. But her as a writer, we're excited as we're thinking about writerliness and artistic voice of noticing and naming and exploring and opening space for how text and community and audience and context meet each other to create understanding. Um, we're excited about her as a really thoughtful person in that. Just based on the one conversation Molly and I had with her, I think we're getting someone who has thought very deeply and can invite us to think very deeply about where body and spirit and joy and grief and art and meaning come together. So to open that, I'm going to have a conversation with her in a little bit. We thought there's no better way to do that than have her share some of her work. And she's got a couple of pieces she's going to read for us. Uh, yeah, and then we'll talk a little bit more. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I feel honored um, to be here. I'll show you this. Um, and um, I have today for you an essay that I wrote um, last year around this time. Um, I have a cough drop in my mouth because I had a cold about three weeks ago and I'm still coughing, so um, <laughs> an inopportune cough drop. Um, <clears throat> get that out of the way. Um, so this essay uh, originally appeared on Good Letters, which is the online component of at the Image Journal, and it appeared um, in March of 2019, but many of the themes that I'll discuss here are um, still relevant, and I, I, f I felt that it was uh, nice that it comes at the same time of year. And then after I read this, I'll read uh, one poem by the poet Marie Howe um, as a transition toward an exercise that we'll do later. So this is called Witness and Permission on Seeing and Being Seen in Life and Art. This winter has been a difficult season. I emerge from it wondering about the edges of my griefs and my joys, feeling around for my moorings, realizing in a new way the isolation of the single parent, the reality of mortality for aging and ill family members, the uneven texture of heartbreak, how it feels one day like a thing is done and the next like the wound is fresh. Women friends share with me that they're moving through their own uncertain seasons and we reach out over the weeks to steady each other, to lend support in the small and large ways we can, to write each other when possible. The image I've had these past months, though, is of several of us, mostly mothers, moving along dimly lit halls, or shuffling through hanging panels of thin but opaque cloth, something like the Cecilia Vicuña exhibit I saw in New York with my friend Sarah this summer. In the vision, we walk along with our hands out, feeling our way, sometimes bumping into each other to clutch at each other and laugh a little madly, sometimes reaching out to pat the other's back as she cries before moving along through the cloth on our own. Recently, when teaching an online lyric essay course, I realized I wanted to remind my students, mostly women somewhere in the middle of their lives, that it's okay to follow their own interests and observations and threads of thought throughout the day to witness the world and its textures, as well as the textures of their own minds, that this is the life of the artist, of the person striving to be awake in her life. A friend from graduate school, Ross Gay, recently published The Book of Delights, a project of paying attention to his everyday life within and against the larger structures that would dehumanize us and separate us from our joy. I realize that this has been my project of the last several years to claim one's noticing and in this way work to be more human. And I wonder how this works for women specifically. How we need to give ourselves and each other permission to notice and celebrate our delights and also to notice and pay homage to our griefs both. How they are part of one larger cloth of our lives, of all women's lives. And how does this work for mothers? for women approaching menopause and possibly feeling the impending freedom and regret that comes from standing on the edge of the matron precipice, peering over at the crones, laughing and crying on the next shore. 
I became a mother in my 40s, and so the joys and trials of early motherhood are blurring into the pre-crone days, that perimenopausal feeling of impending freedom, and also the grief and confusion of that. Part of what delights me now is celebrating and witnessing with other women the strangeness of being alive as a woman at this age. There's delight to this witnessing, but also a melancholy compassion, which is another way of knowing we're alive. After my baby was born, I experienced a phenomenon which many postpartum mothers do, a visceral awareness of the world's sorrow and pity and almost overwhelming, overwhelming compassion for anyone suffering. Sometimes when my milk would let down as my newborn nursed, I would experience a wave of feeling I can only describe as, what a pity. Pitiful and precious we are, all of us, in our vulnerability, our pain, our mortality. For most of us, the mother is our first witness, and that is why the connection can be so powerful, and also perhaps why we can't bear to fully look at it in the post-industrial Western world, the everyday sacrifice of mothers except in overly romanticized ways, an impulse that further isolates. As British psychoanalyst D.W. Winnicott wrote in The Mother's Contribution to Society, is not this contribution of the devoted mother unrecognized precisely because it is immense? If this contribution is accepted, it follows that every man or woman who is sane, Every man or woman who has the feeling of being a person in the world and for whom the world means something, every happy person is in infinite debt to a woman. Women especially, though, seem to need permission to notice themselves in midlife. We make it through childhood, through young adulthood, and we lose the more constant witnessing, or at least adjacent kind regard, of our mothers and of the friends made in adolescence. The, permit, the permission that such witnessing, if we're lucky, gives us to follow that which delights us or fascinates us for reasons of our own. On a recent episode of the podcast On Being, the poet Sharon Old shares that she had to grow into an appreciation of her own weirdness, her innate pagan delight in the world and in her own body, but also that friends are helpful in this way as one grows because true friends will delight in your weirdness. I thought then of moments from my fond friendships, as well as from my romances and near romances, of the satisfaction of finding those who delight in your weirdnesses. Was it my mother or James Baldwin who said, everybody needs a witness? Both, I think. <clears throat> Once when I was in high school, I was riding along a Chicago expressway in the backseat of a, my friend Jennifer's parents' Buick, the boat we called it, um, as it was truly huge. Jennifer at the helm, Carrie and Anna in their places. I found myself wondering about all the other humans floating along at such great speeds. What if we could suddenly see everyone without their cars? I piped up from my place in the back seat. What if we were all just speeding along in a seated position, totally exposed? The response to my weirdness was stronger than I ex had expected. Oh, Joanna, they all seemed to say, you are our friend who would say something like that, and for that we are grateful. To follow your own noticing, to have people along the way who will watch your watching. This is how a soul moves through time. It seems that this is what we all need these days, all of us humans in this trauma-ridden time. Permission to witness, to be witnessed. And isn't this the work of the writer, of all artists, to celebrate this witnessing, this holding of space for the humanity of others? No wonder writers are a threat. In moments in which I question what I'm doing being a poet, a role which isn't really recognized in the capitalist system in which I function, I think of the words of my friend Simeon Barry, who reminded me in a recent conversation, what we write could get us imprisoned in other countries. Our liberal lyricism is a finger in their eye. Simeon is my friend who says things like, when I read stuff like yours, I'm reminded that we need psychic sustenance in order to reconcile the weirdness of sublimity inside this meat sack. Now that's a pep talk. I would like to provide an assignment for the week here, or a moment of permission, adapted from an exercise I recently gave my lyric essay class. This week, practice being interested in your own observations. Practice walking around with your eyes and ears open. Practice being interested in the world around you, but also in the texture of your own mind. What do you notice and why? What delights you or piques your interest? What language does your mind begin to put to it? Take notes at the end of each day or even throughout the day. 
Look for the images that called you, the snatches of language that echo in your mind, family memories that bubble up at unexpected times. Um, write these down in a numbered list. Pay attention to sounds, recurring threads, and pauses as you make your list, but also allow yourself to be loose and intuitive in compiling it. The days are getting longer in my part of the world. Spring has finally come, even as the world's brutality persists unabating. Both of these things are true. Remember, though, what's at stake in continuing to witness our human movement through this veil of tears, this three-ring three circus. Psychic sustenance, connection, resistance. And as my friend Simeon noted about the writing of poems, about our stubborn turns toward creativity in whatever forms they take, more importantly, it makes us happy and fulfilled, and no one can take that away from us unless we let them. So, um, I like the uh, that Molly had brought in the Atlantis being the lengthening. I didn't, I didn't um, realize that before. Um, every time my uh, Christian friends wrote me into <laughs> something churchy, I. Um, I realized, like, oh, it's poetry. That's why people love church. It's, it's, it's all a poem. Um, so I wanted to read a poem by Marie Howe. Um, and this poem is the title poem of her book, What the Living Do. Um, and I recommend this collection. This is actually a collection that got me writing again when I was in my PhD program for English, and I was sort of turning toward more critical writing. Um, and her, the living voice of her as a poet um, is always so striking and engaging. Um, and I'm reading this one because she performs what I was talking about in this essay of noticing your own life and the everydayness of your own life and the significance of that and of yourself as a witness of yourself and, and those around you. Um, so what the living do. Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there, and the Drano won't work but smells dangerous, and the crusty dishes have piled up, waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again, the sky's a deep, headstrong blue, and the sunlight pours through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in here, and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the street, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again, and again later, when buying a hairbrush, this is it, parking, slamming the car door shut in the cold, what you called that yearning, what you finally gave up, we want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not call, a letter, a kiss. We want more and more and then more of it. But there are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass, say, the window of the corner video store, and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep from my own blowing hair, chapped face, and unbuttoned coat that I'm speechless. I am living. I remember you. Aha, thank you um, for bringing these texts uh, in tonight. And I think as soon as I read these, we, yeah, we were aiming to get a lot done tonight, just to sort of telegraph a little bit. As we're looking, sitting with Galatians this six-week season, our plan was to sort of introduce tonight and to spend all of next week or most of it reading through Galatians in some creative way. You remember the Re Revelation read-through, so you've got something like that coming in a Pauline voice. Um, but yeah, when I read these, I was like, oh wow, there's there's plenty here. <laughs> and what you've brought us to like delve into deeply and for a long time. So we're going to be truncating, I think, a conversation that we could have um, about yeah the depth and the breadth of what you brought us, but in a, in a real way, like we wanted to have some way for the community to get to know you because you imagine the crux of your residency is going to be actually in the first half, um, and you 're going to be doing a sort of four week thing we 'll talk a little bit we'll sort of uh, uh, promo that in a little bit, but since that was going to be the case, we wanted to have some 
opportunity for people to really get to know you and think about, oh yeah, why? Well, maybe I really do want to show up next week at four o'clock. So you've given us kind of a window into your voice here and you've actually said very specifically, isn't this the work of a writer? Um, this holding space for the humanity of others. Um, and I think this idea of writers as holders of human geography feels like, yeah, a really, a really good spacious one to me. So just as a kind of introduction, if you're, if you're a writer holding space, what are some of the things that you might introduce us to that are flowing into that space that you particularly are holding? When you were talking um, just now, I was thinking about um, how, wow, my mind went to this like very specific direction. I was thinking about um, service and care and um, how none of these jobs that kind of um, help to maintain and grow our humanness uh, really pay in capitalism. <laughs> um, so poet, um, mother, um, nurses, teachers, um, and I've been all of those except for a nurse. I have a lot of nurse friends, actually. Um, and uh, so I'm thinking about everyone who did that for me, who sort of held space for me to kind of be a nuanced, complicated human being and to, you know, and honor my weirdness and my individuality and also my sameness and kind of show me the sameness of other people. So, for example, um, I think a lot about when people ask me, like, my influences and who influences my writerly voice, I think a lot about the spoken language that I grew up with. Um, my grandmother, for example, um, who um, just died last year and, and is part of the grief that I'm talking about in the, that essay that I read. Um, she was such an interesting person, and, and uh, her... Um, I think of Laurie Anderson, the performance artist, who when her father died, she said it was like a library had burned down. Um, just this, you know, the, that's the only human being to hold her specific memories and vocabulary and um, point of view and perspective. And um, she just, you know, certain phrases and like turns of thought kind of go through my mind that that are specific to her still. So she's, you know, kind of held that space for me. And I think just the rhythms of her language. Like, I would be on the phone with her sometimes, and I would write down things that she would say, as I enjoyed listening to her speak so much. And I'd go back and look at my notes later, and I would think, uh, I realized at one point, she talked like a Shakespearean character, like, from a small North Carolina town. She talked in iambic pentameter. Like, she literally, like, the things that she said just seemed like felt complete in themselves. And, um, and uh, so, so she was significant for me in that way. And then also the holding of space in the sense of um, teaching, teaching a child how to see other people. You know, like I remember there's certain things that she would tell me as a kid that still stick in my mind. Like one came to mind yesterday when I saw a man riding his, um, he was riding a motorized scooter in the bike lane. Um, like I was going to Whole Foods and I, I was alarmed because I thought, oh, you know, something could happen to him. He had his, like, blinker things on. But, um, <clears throat> and I remembered when she said to me not to dash around too quickly in the grocery store. Um, she said, don't move so quickly next to an old person because they think that they might think that you're going to knock them over. And at that point, she was pretty young because she was kind of a young grandmother, but she was, she was pointing out an older, an even older person. Um, it, you know, and that stayed in my mind, just this notion, like, to have care, and to have an awareness of the other people around you. Or um, something she told my mother when she was a child, and then my mother reported it to me later, is that, like, I guess my mom said one time about some of the poor kids in her class, like, well, they look like they just, like, they have dirt on them, like they should just wash, like, you know. And my grandmother said, um, some people can't afford soap. And my mom said, everybody can afford soap. And my grandmother said, no, really, some people cannot of, might not have soap. Um, and so that kind of holding space, I think, is something that a mother can do um, and also that a poet can do or that artists can do, just kind of pointing out the, the complexity of and the vulnerability of other human beings um, and honoring that. Well, thanks for lifting up your grandmother <laughs> in this space. We're honored. Um, I want to
push to another, I think, that, yeah, this essay is so coherent around this concept of, of witness and what we grant to people and what we grant ourselves in the noticing of, yeah, the, the, the humanity. But yeah, you talk about that you realize my project has been the last several years to claim one's noticing and in this way work to be more human how we need to give ourselves and each other permission to notice and celebrate our delights and pay homage to griefs both. And so I was struck by that idea that noticing is essential human work. And then the part I left out is that this is women work, mm -hmm. that you're noticing that not just in a human sense, but in a very particular human sense. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I wonder if you'd talk a little bit about yeah, the way that writerly witnessing carries into human witnessing carries into like the particular witnessing work of women, right? Mm -hmm. And how those things flow from or together or alongside each other. Yeah, I think the sort of maternal line that I was talking about um, very much informs my thinking on that. And um, now as the mother of a son, the other piece that I'll just mention quickly is that this seems like an important thing to allow in our boys, you know, in our men. It's like, um, it's okay to be sensitive and interested and open, you know, to the world around you. And so um, some of the mothering moments I'm most proud of um, are <laughs> moments when I'll say, like, you know, we'll walk outside and I'll say, oh, look at the light, you know, or, um, or, or when my son will say something like, look at that magnolia tree, you know, and, and it's just like, ah. Oh. It's like this sort of poet mother win. Um, but um, the noticing, yeah, I, I, think, I think with me it's like an interesting question. That, again, it has to do with service. Um, and, and it's this area where my creative and mother life, you know, do dovetail. Um, but it's one, so something I think about a lot is that women the women that I know um, were partly trained to and partly seem to have this character of wanting to care for the people around them and and be of service and you know it, it's something that they enjoy um, but then you get to a certain point where you can tire yourself out you know and you're like you kind of have these moments where you just you pause and you think what um who, where's my mother figure, you know, like, who, wh why do I have to be the, the wife, mother person all the time? Um, and so I think a lot of, I think women do this for each other a lot, and to, you know, and to return to the, um, the masculine side of it, I think sometimes men um, could, could do that more for each other, or find ways to kind of, like, open up, crack open how socially um, male friendships have been and to find more spaces for that. Um, but yeah, the women I know kind of rely on each other a lot for that kind of care. And so um, how do we bring it into our families? How do we bring it in um, culturally in general? Just this like idea of like, let's notice who is doing the unpaid work and let's make sure that they're cared for. Um, but then also like giving women permission to notice themselves. I remember I had a, f a friend, um, actually one of the friends I mentioned, a teenage friend in that piece, um, whose mother was, um, she's very kind of straight-laced and um, she, um, one time, she went to the liquor store to buy wine for dinner and they gave her the nun discount because she just looked, <laughs> she was like, she was just very kind of, you know, conservative and, um, she, one time she was appalled because she saw that uh, my friend's sister had this magazine called Self. And she's like, Self? Can you imagine reading something called Self? And, and my friends and I looked at each other like, what? <laughs> what is wrong with like, reading something called Self? But it made me realize, like, wow, she was very trained up in this idea of you know, projecting it outward. It's not about yourself. And there's some value to not being um, self-involved. You know, and all of this is true, but if, if, if women or people that we know, a lot of the women that we know, are more inclined to do that anyway, like maybe they're not the ones that need the training, <laughs> you know, 
know. Um, so balancing that out a little bit. So that's one of the things I think about in terms of holding space. And then just in general, every time I start to doubt um, my role as an artist or a poet, I'll read something like that Marie Howe poem, which I've read a million times before, and I've taught this book before. But last, the last time I read it, when I was preparing to do this, it cracked me open, and I just started crying, you know, because things hit you differently at different points in your life. And I had a couple losses in my family in the past year or two. And, um, and just kind of thinking, like, you know, this, this feeling of thanks to Marie Howe for having written that, um, and then the value of my work and how, you know, um, there's a responsibility there that I take seriously that, you know, you can't, like, think too hard about it when you're writing because it'll kind of shut down your ability to create, but um, that you're holding up the idea that it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay to be complex, it's okay to be human as an artist. So I think, yeah, you're opening up the kind of... Yeah, the kind of space we're really excited to bring you in for this particular evening to talk about, because as we're trying to open ourselves to Paul, a Paul who, raise your hand if you got some things, you know, so bring some complications with Paul. Raise your hand. You know, Sally's got her finger going. I mean, I think many of us, most of us, carry some some angst, some, like, baggage, some, like, trauma, maybe even, with Paul, and particularly the way that Pauline texts have been used in our in our church lives and but i think with the way you're talking about what a writer is and how writers perform a work of witness and the fact that you read this poem and the particular place that you were with this poem you and marie howe and that context broke you op- opened something in you that was particular i think that's a way that i want to say like i've not been encouraged to receive paul and his epistles in that way I've not been encouraged, I think, to really think of him as a writer, as a person. I've not been encouraged to think all that carefully about the complexity of the people he's writing to. And so I want to go back to, you said um, in your essay, you said to follow your own noticing, to have people along the way who will watch you watching. This is how a soul moves through time. It seems that this is all we need these days, all of us humans in this trauma-ridden time, permission to witness and be witnessed. Um, and isn't this the work of a writer? So I wonder, like you've really opened up this idea in the essay of how witness between individuals opens something. We talked some in preparing this conversation about how that might apply to an audience reading a text or the particular place we are at when we pick up a text that's written to a particular audience. So how does this idea of witnessing play out when we start to get that roundness going on in terms of how a text and how a writer are received? Um, Witnessing, yeah, in terms of community, I'm thinking about when I've taught um, undergrad literature and writing and um, because I taught in colleges for like 15 years and um, I, there would be these moments when you know you'd be having a conversation and an undergraduate would sort of shut down the conversation by try to shut down the conversation by saying, "Well, I just don't identify with this. It doesn't have anything to do with me." And then you'd have to kind of open it back up by, you know, throwing out this really big idea of like, to whom might it matter, <laughs> you know, and and why is it important to read things that give a story that isn't your exact story. You know, I mean, I maybe wouldn't say it as bitterly as I'm (laughs) I'm saying it now, but, um, and that's what literature can do. You know, like, why do they have literature classes at university? Why, you know, why are we here? What are we doing? (laughs) Um, And um, so I think about, I think about that. I think about um, this idea of meeting, um, giving an author and a text the benefit of the doubt, you know, kind of meeting them where they are and seeing, like, what are they bringing to it? What am I bringing to it? It's that old, uh, when I used to teach freshman comp, there's that Aristotelian triangle uh, rhetorical situation where any reading situation has the text, the reader, and the writer, and they're all interacting, and that's what creates the meaning. Um, And so... You know, in any human relationship, as any as a as a person in in a community, 
um, you have to leave some space, you know, you have to leave some space for people to ha be coming to things from where they are, you know, from what their journey is, and meet them the best that you can, and it won't always be, you know, a lovely interaction, but, it, you know, if you leave space, sometimes it will. I was thinking about how I was having some kind of, like, peevish conversation on Facebook with about, um, I just feel so strongly about Elizabeth Warren, and, you know, and, and I, I ended up getting into this little, like, tiff with, with other people on Facebook, and I was just like, why am I doing this? You know, it's like, um, probably procrastination, but and then and then this guy came to my door who was um, who was canvassing or what is it called when they go to, yeah door to door and um, for Bernie and Bernie Sanders and um, I opened the door and you know he was just a younger guy in a, this bright orange jacket and he just you know he had this like open face and he was just like I'm here for Bernie and and I was just like okay I'm voting for Warren and um, you know, and we just talked for a minute, and I said, like, okay, yeah, I'll vote for Bernie, and if, and, you know, I don't know if you're supposed to talk about politics and church, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know, I'll vote for him if he's the candidate. It's fine, and it's like, okay. And uh, I thought, well, that was easy. <laughs> um, but it also made me think, like, I need to get out more. <laughs> you know, I need to just, like, talk to actual human beings face-to-face -face because, you know, you get into these spaces where you're just kind of thinking of the other person as the, their position or, you know, and not like as this whole human package with like a face and like a, this lovely warm energy or just or non-threatening energy at least. Um, so those are some of the things I think about in terms of, of being a human in the world and, and leaving space. Um, and I often think as a, as a poet and lyric essayist about... Um, what is my responsibility to the community and to, in terms of being a witness of where I am? And I took a, a workshop one time with the poet Bernadette Mayer who talked about um, how we should try, try to be a poet of place. Try to like go out, walk around your neighborhood, talk to people, learn from the people in your neighborhood what the history is around you, you know, what their stories are about the places that you pass by every day. Um, and I thought, like, wow, it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> but, um, but again, just that value of these just very simple, like, uh, being a person in the world, you know, open to other people and open to learning from the people around you um, and not thinking as an artist that I have some, you know, you know authority based on the fact that I write down my observations, um, but that I have... Um, a role and a, but I, and also a responsibility to kind of be be open to the fact that my story is not the only story out there. Well, thank you. I think you've given us a lot to chew on. Um, you're going to be back up in just a second to do a practice with us that's writing centric. Um, I invite you to sit down, not make you talk about Paul, which we've agreed that was our agreement. Um, <laughs> Yeah, don't make you talk about Bob. Um, but, yeah, I just want to yeah put a pin in this idea that the question we're asking ourselves in taking on writing and taking on Paul together is, to some degree, if we think of ourselves as writers, if we think about writing letters for crying out loud, people who don't write letters anymore, reading a letter from Paul to a set of people and we're inserting ourselves into that audience, what is it that we are doing? Um, and so we want to invite in two streams, like with this writing. One is to think of ourselves as writers, to engage the work of writing, to engage the work of communication, to think about this idea of writing as witness, or holding witness for noticing each other, or noticing in ourselves. But also to bring that alongside our sort of five-week engagement with this epistle, which is a letter. Um, and we're gonna do more of that next week. We're gonna spend, we're gonna read it all, and we'll talk a little bit more about exactly, you know, get all our Paul facts straight. Um, but I just wanna open a little bit of space in the time that we have left tonight before Joanna sort of leads us in a kind of a writing confession practice to let's get some of the energy um, in the Paul conversation 
out. Let's, let's get some things out. Let's get some things moving. And I think this idea of us plus Galatians plus Paul, I want us to name some of the us that we are bringing to a five-week engagement with Galatians. So that's, that's not even a question, but it's a saying like, if you're bringing some energy to a conversation about Galatians in particular, if you're up on your Pauline epistles, or about Paul as a figure, what are some things that we're gonna be carrying in? Um, yeah, that we should be, that we should just get out there. Andreas encourages to be generous, but you can even be ungenerous to start off. All right, I'll get you started. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the members of God's family who are with me. There's a lot more biographical detail from there, but that's, that's how we begin. That's the preamble. That's our author. What, what, kind of, what kind of energy are we bringing to this? I realized when you were saying earlier that we, inviting us to think of Paul as a person made me realize that the words of Paul have always been thought of as the words of God, right, instead mm. of the words of a person. Me too. Yeah, Mike. Well, with Galatians, I just think of all this uh, struggle to get out from under the weight of the law, the way that it controls us, and you know, it operates to make us feel that we're failures constantly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. he's, he's very committed to destroying that. Yeah. Yeah, and that'll be like one of the, I think we're going to spend next week at the book of the whole and then sort of identify kind of some four, and that's one, right? Like you can't, that's the grappling. And seems to have like, whatever's going on in Paul's head and his identity, he brings that, that question is like, that's a top three for sure. Anybody else? Um, yeah is writing obviously to have as many people as possible read his writings, uh, but I'm always, and couldn't tell you if he is in prison when he writes Galatians, but I know his voice is often one that comes from isolation towards community, and uh, thinking about that in the context of when to, you know, can feel like an isolating experience, or we were encouraged to kind of delve inward, and then also learn like, from Joanna about the people around us and how we can reach out to them. Yeah. Um, and so I, I never thought of him as a lonely guy. Mm. But, but maybe, maybe he is. is. <laughs> yeah. We get such a particular voice being thrown into community, I think, right? And like, and yeah, and it's all... Paul's voice and description that we get what that interaction is. Um, so it feels, yeah, like we're missing a lot. Yeah, it's coming from this very particular place, but it's being thrown into a very communal, messy place. Yeah. Anyone else? So what I'm about to say is probably my own ignorance and probably a lot of what how Paul was interpreted. But the feeling I have about Paul is that he doesn't quite know what to do with women and bodies. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time with that one. Yeah. I was thinking, I think one of the gifts that you gave us in the piece you chose tonight, Joanne, is, is focusing on witness and, and women and the particular, when you talked about your son, right? I mean, you're, like, I was just reading your work thinking about, yeah, the shadow side of that, right? And that we've, we've, button this down and close this in for women, which has had, an, what kind of cost has that had on masculinity in the same culture, right? Um, and just coming from my Aunt Melba's funeral this week, and she was like, yeah, she was the church lady, perfect church lady, Jesus loving, right? But we didn't even know how to celebrate that in her because 
that's not something that exactly gets celebrated, right? It's important, it's great, but we can't make that the main thing, even though that's, yeah, the most beautiful thing about who she was, yeah. So that shadow sensibility that I think is in Paul. There's, there's pieces of, of humanness that he is, yeah, clearly less comfortable with or clearly emphasizing less. Time for one or two more. That clock is broken, so you're all out of whack. You don't know what time it is. I don't think I realize how much I just shut out um, Galatians and all of those letter books. Like, I just, like, maybe gotten over some of my frustrations with. Mm-hmm. Um, realizing that, you know, in high school and interpreted to basically make my teen years really not fun. <laughs> um, but, like, I don't feel like that's those are, like, emotions that I've mostly dealt with. But then I never really I, like, conceded, like, yeah, it would be interesting to read these, like, without um, the youth pastor, like, yelling at me. Like, <laughs> but, I never, but I never did. Um, and I don't know if that's because, like, the more progressive churches I've been in haven't really gone there either, or or just you know, over, like several years, yes. like, didn't go to church, like, and wasn't like just reading Galatians for the fun of it. Um, so I I feel like I have like some like lines that are like associated with like worship songs in high school that I don't. I'm like realizing that like even though. High school is probably the part of the Bible I spent the most time reading. It's like kind of like out of my consciousness now. I don't remember what these books say. (laughs) So I have have an openness there. Mm. Well, that's kind. I. So I think that, honestly, that puts a finger on, like, in taking this on as a seasonal focus, this really mirrors some of what we've done with Genesis um, this year, what we've done with Revelation, um, is taking on texts that, for many of us, like, either have had a really central piece in in a Christianity that was deeply challenging or really wounding to us, and I think Paul's on that list, and I think you just named, like, yeah, progressive Christianity, yeah, has a lot more interest in the Gospels than it does in Paul's epistles, by and large. And so we're inviting ourselves, we're inviting you into that engagement this season with this over overlay of letters and writing and that practice as a different way in, as a, as a, as a new reflection. At the same time, we are absolutely going to need to grapple with a Paul who we find very much out of line with our values. Um, in the places he's speaking from, and maybe even perhaps in the person he himself is. Um, so I think we're carrying all that together, and I'd appreciate if you could find some of the openness that Maurice very generously put forward. And read Galatians. We're going to come together, read it all next week, a little bit more, but about, yeah, who is this Pauline voice? What do we know? Um, you know, what are his authorial bona fides? And we get that really quickly in the book. But I would encourage you to do that between now and next week. Um, I want to quickly profile three adult offerings we're going to have going on in the first half, and these will be for the next four weeks. Um, One of them is going to be led by Clinton Dreisbach, and he's going to really lean into this idea of Christian practice. Um, His blurb says, Christians through time have observed practices such as praying the divine hours, fasting, giving, um, and these practices continue to get today and gain new interest. And so he's going to invite the group that gathers to choose some particular practices, take them on through the week, and then come back together the week following and talk about, well, what, yeah, what, how did these fit in my life? How did they not? What was different? What did I notice in taking on these practices together? Um, the second one is going to be a letter writing um, sort of workshop. Um, that we'll have some different prompts every week. We'll have pens, paper, envelopes, stamps, and you can come in and write a letter. Bet it's been a while. It has for me. Um, And the third one is going to be Joanna, who's going to be taking four weeks, and I'm just going to read her lovely blurb, which she 
wrote up. Our theme, Witnessing Self, will allow us to examine the self as observer, construction of identity within and against the stories we're born into, writing as a means of communing with the soul or higher self, and the individual as creator of her own narrative. As we explore this theme, we'll work in a mode that we could call flash memoir, vignette, or micro-essay. We'll delve in the form of the letter as well, thinking about letters to self and others as an act of witnessing our lives and the lives of others. Some of the writers we may read as models include Abigail Thomas, Paul Auster, Audre Lorde, Larry Levis, Alison Bechtel, Elizabeth Bishop, Thomas Transtromer, Jessica Mesman Griffith, and Jamaica Kincaid. Each function, can, each can function as a standalone workshop, but they'll also build on each other. So I hope you got a good pitch tonight for some of what you got. I encourage you to do that, totally open, and each of these three, um, to take these on as ways alongside this book of Galatians into forming ourselves differently um, and thinking of ourselves as witnesses um, to God and each other during Lent. With that, I'm going to invite Joanna up to lead us in this confession practice, which will be writerly based. Gonna write. We're gonna write for five minutes. You can do it. Um, so, my idea here is to use the Marie Howe piece as a model, um, specifically thinking about how. She gets at the texture of her days um, with the, the kitchen sink and the, um, the heat that's on too high that she can't turn off, the dropping, the bag of groceries in the street. So when you think about um, sensory detail or concrete detail, you're thinking about um, detail that can be apprehended with the senses, so things that you can see or touch or taste or feel. Um, and just, you know honoring kind of the mundane, like the everyday in your life. And um, so my prompt here is write a letter to someone you haven't seen in a long time, a living or dead, in which you explain yourself. Start with some everyday details from your week or your day. What's the texture of your life right now? What are the sensory details of that? So if it were me, I would just be like, you know, dear Gran, this morning I couldn't wake up and Elias went and got the vanilla ice cream out of the freezer and ate ice cream for breakfast before I could get out of bed. <laughs> so, you know, so it's just starting with those. The, I'm a great mom, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then go from there. Okay, so we'll just, let's just start right for five minutes. Um, the texture of your life right now. I'll give you a final little instruction toward the end of that. You have about one minute left. Um, if you could glance over what you've written so far, and Marie Howe sums up, I am living, I remember you. What would be your summary of, like, what are you trying to say here? You could even start it with, what I really want to say is, and write another sentence or two. Okay, so wrap up, uh, finish the thought you're on. We were originally going to have a couple people read theirs, but I don't know if we need to just end. Oh, okay, does anybody want to volunteer to read what you came up with? Anybody surprise themselves with, sometimes like a timed exercise can kind of get at some interesting stuff. The parameters of that. Anyone? I came up with a good, a kind of a good last line. Um, I was writing about my grandmother, and I wrote for my last line, what I really want to say is, I saw you as my son sees me. You were my original mystery. Anybody have any good lines? <laughs> Any funny piquant details from your life that you recorded? I learned something about myself through reading this. I um, 
I'm not usually a person who likes winter. Winter's hard for me. I'm really excited for daylight savings to end. Um, but I said, my last line was, spring comes soon. I'm excited, but not quite ready yet. And I was reflecting on the things that I've enjoyed about winter, just being cozy and covered in blankets and how that's like, I'm enjoying that still. I wrote a letter to my parents who were both dead. Um, and I just ended it by saying, you are in every thought, and especially in the fresh smell of very infused Well, thank you guys for writing. And considering writing is a practice this month, thanks for opening us up to it, Joanna. Looking forward to having you with us again down here and upstairs next week. Um, if Howard Thurman had to say one thing, I imagine he might say, in this 40 days of stillness, new life is stirring, new dreams are on the wing, new hopes are being readied, humankind, even us, are fashioning new hearts and forging new minds, even here, especially here at this table tonight. I invite you, as we do every week, to an open table that we celebrate together, at which every single person is welcome, and we pour wine, and we pour juice, and break bread, or a gluten-free cracker for each other, saying that a new thing is happening, that God is here, if we will open ourselves as witnesses and noticers. So I invite you to this table tonight. Come and join us. Thanks for being here on this first Sunday of Lent.